This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you now and we thank you for um, the music part of our service that's prepared our hearts for your word. And we pray now that you would speak to us through your word by the power of your spirit. We are called to represent you in this world as your ambassadors. And as we interact with different kinds of people each day, Lord, we want to represent you well. And so we pray that you would use the text today to open our eyes to the mission that you've called us to and make us more effective. And Lord, we thank you that you came to us. We thank you that you became one of us to redeem us. And Lord, help us to open our eyes and to see the people all around us and their need for you. Help us to be your ambassadors, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll open your Bibles today to the book of Acts. If you are new today, we are um, walking through the book of Acts together. We have come to chapter 17. The series is called Empowered because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to represent Him in this world. And we're talking today about being Christ ambassadors, about representing Him with different kinds of of people. You know, last night we had a great event, and uh, Grace Fabian, who I think is here in our service today, but she served as an international missionary for 43 years in Mexico and Papua New Guinea. But last night she was sharing in, in such a wonderful way about her desire to, to understand the people at, that she was called to reach. And that's part of what we're called to do as Christ's ambassadors. We're, we're called to relate to different kinds of people. And the gospel never changes. But the way that we minister to people and the way that we get to the gospel does change according to who we're representing Christ with. So today in chapter 17, what we see is a beautiful example as Paul is ministering in three different cities. Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens. And I think the applications to our lives about being his ambassadors, where we're called to be, is going to be very obvious to you. Let's look at this chapter together. Acts chapter 17, and we're going to look at most of this chapter. We're going to, we're going to read the chapter, and we're going to walk through most of it today. So follow along with me and God's word. The Bible says, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, 
These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there's another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica heard that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think of that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, 
But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. You know, as a sports fan, um, <clears throat> I'm always amazed at how games change over the years. Same game, but played in a very different way. I remember pro probably the first Super Bowl that I can remember watching was in 1974 between the Miami Dolphins and the Minnesota Vikings. And the Dolphins won that game, and the winning quarterback for the Dolphins, Bob Greasy, attempted in that Super Bowl a grand total of seven passes. He threw the ball a total of seven times in the whole game. Do you know how many times Tom Brady threw the ball in the Super Bowl this year, the Patriots? He attempted 62 passes. It's still football, <laughs> but it's played in a very different way. Well, suppose you were a coach and you were preparing your team to face a 1974 Dolphins offense, but in reality, you were going to face the 2017 Patriots offense, or vice versa. That's not going to go well. Because if you're a coach, you need to know what kind of team you're going to be facing. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are ambassadors for Christ. But if we are going to represent Christ effectively, we need to know the kinds of people that we're representing him to. We see a great example of this in Acts chapter 17 as Paul ministers in these three different contexts. So first of all, we see that Paul is in the city of Thessalonica. Let's see what happens there. Verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So unlike Philippi, where we were last week in chapter 16, and there weren't even enough Jewish people to form a quorum for a synagogue, Thessalonica is different. Um, there is a significant Jewish population, and we've seen in city after city in Acts that whenever Paul and his missions team go into a city, if there's a synagogue, that's where they begin. So how does Paul proclaim the gospel in the synagogue? Where does he begin with people? Look at verses 2 and 3. It says, Paul went in, and as was his custom, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. So in the synagogue, Paul begins where these Jewish people are. He knows that they believe in the authority of the Old Testament. He knows that they've come together in the synagogue to study the Old Testament. He knows that they are expecting the Messiah, the Christ, to come. And so Paul begins with them in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, showing the prophecies about Jesus, showing that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies about the Messiah, he knows that they're there to study the Old Testament. They believe in the Old Testament. And so he begins there, where they are. Let's notice a couple of more things about the ministry in Thessalonica. First of all, note the diversity 
of the people that are coming to Christ there. Verse 4, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So Jewish people were being saved, Gentile people were being saved, men were being saved, women were being saved, people from different socioeconomic backgrounds were being saved. There was a wide diversity of people in the early church. Second, notice the opposition that they experienced there. In verse 5, uh, we see that a mob forms, that there's an attack on them. And listen, we've seen this in city after city as we've walked through Acts, haven't we? We've seen that some are open to the gospel, some oppose the gospel, some accept the gospel, others attack the gospel, and often attack the messengers of the gospel. We have to understand, you know, not everybody is going to, to, uh, to, like, to like the gospel. And sometimes they take it out on us. What we have to make sure of is that if people have a problem, that they're not having a problem, you know, with our personality, that we're, you know, that we're not acting like jerks or, you know, uh, being obnoxious or something like that. Um, but if they have a problem with the gospel, then we have to be okay with that. We have to, because we have to be okay with the approval of God alone. Galatians 1 and verse 10, Paul says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So, you know, we don't control people's reactions to the gospel. Um, all we can control is be, be kind, be loving, but we have to be bold enough to share the gospel. But there are going to be different reactions to that, and we need to understand it. Um, third, notice here the impact of the gospel in verses 6 and 7. It says um, that, uh, that the, their opponents say, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Now the accusation that these missionaries were trying to foment rebellion against Caesar was not true. We know from Romans 13 and other texts that, that Paul uh, taught the early believers that they were to submit to the governing authorities as long as that did not necessitate disobedience to God. If it comes down to a choice between God and the governing authorities, we must obey God rather than men. But short of that, you know, Paul taught, the Bible says, honor the emperor, you know, submit to the governing um, authorities. So certainly, Paul in no way had been trying to stir up political rebellion against the Caesar. But what is true is that they were teaching that the Caesar was not the king of kings. That Jesus was the King of kings and Lord of lords. Because many of the people that they were uh, talking to, the Gentiles, were into emperor worship. They would actually worship the Caesar. And they couldn't do that anymore. Right? If Jesus is the, is the ultimate king, it means that Caesar is not the ultimate king. So they were saying that. You know, um, we live in a culture today where people are kind of obsessed with politics. And, uh, you know, they, it's so easy just kind of to get drawn in and just get so politically passionate. 
you know, it's fine for believers to be involved in politics. Say we're to be good citizens, um, and, and part of that certainly means voting our conscience and at times being involved in politics. Um, that's all fine. But listen, if you, if you find yourself spending more of your time you know, watching TV news or cruising the internet to kind of follow a political passion, if you're spending more of your time doing that than you are in your Bible or in the things of God, that's a problem. You know, you need to seriously, you need to seriously pray about that. If you find yourself um, talking more about politics with people than you do spending time uh, talking with people about Jesus, you need to pray about that. That's a problem. Okay, because just like the early Christians were no longer getting their hope from, you know, these political leaders, we don't get our hope, our ultimate hope does not come from politics, doesn't come from Washington, D.C., our hope is found at a bloody cross and an empty tomb. And, and that should be our obsession. And, and that's, that's, who we, that's, that's who we should be captivated by, is Jesus and the gospel. That's what we need to spend our, the bulk of our time, you know, engaging in and talking about. We see this team in Thessalonica, and then in Berea. We're not going to spend uh, much time here because it's very similar to Thessalonica. Paul goes into the synagogue. In this case, the people are very receptive. They're digging into the word to see if what he's saying is true. Eventually, opponents come from Thessalonica. Paul has to leave Berea, and that leads him to Athens. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time today in Athens with Paul. What happens there? What do you think of when you think of Athens? Olympics, right? What else? Um, philosophy. Athens was the center of Greek philosophy. So it's a very different context here. There are some Jewish people in Athens, but there are a lot of Gentiles, and they're coming from a very different place. Let's see how Paul deals with these people. Verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens... His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Now listen, a good missionary, whether you are a missionary at Starbucks or in Shanghai, okay, there, we're all called to be missionaries and there are a couple of things that good missionaries do. First of all, they listen to people. Listen to people. If you're talking to a friend about Jesus, if you're in a gospel conversation, don't just sort of be thinking about what you're going to say next. You need to really listen to the person that you're talking to, to understand who they are, to understand what their needs are, to understand where they're coming from. So good missionaries listen, and then second, good missionaries look around. They're very observant about where they are. And that's what Paul has done here in Athens. He's been looking around. And frankly, he's pretty disturbed by what he sees. <laughs> because Athens is an idol city. <laughs> Everywhere he looked in Athens, I mean, there were pagan temples and uh, pagan 
statues of idols um, and, and uh, altars de uh, devoted to the worship of idols, you know, and his heart is breaking for the lostness of the people that he sees all around him in this city. Verses 17 and 18. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. So Paul in Athens not only goes into the synagogue to share about Jesus, but he goes into the agora, into the marketplace. Now, the marketplace in a city like Athens, don't think like modern uh, grocery store, okay? It's, uh, it's more like a place where people, crowds gather and they talk. And so the marketplace was a very natural place for him to go and to talk to people about Jesus. And some of the people that he encounters there are these Greek philosophers, specifically Epicureans and Stoics. So the Epicureans were sort of like, um, if you were to look for a modern equivalent, it would be sort of like secular agnostics. The Epicureans believed that, you know, if the gods existed at all, that they probably weren't very involved in the affairs of human beings. And so look, the best you can do in this life is just kind of try to carve out some, some pleasure for yourself and just kind of enjoy your life. The Stoics uh, were more pious. They believed in, they had a, a sense, they believed very much in the gods and they had a sense of, uh, of, of duty to the gods. So they were very different. But the one thing that they were united in uh, was that they sort of joined at first in, in, in mocking the Apostle Paul. What do they say? Verse, verse 18. Some said, what does this babbler wish to say? <laughs> now the, the term babbler here uh, literally means a seed picker. So the image um, was of, imagine like a little bird, of, like little birds that hop along the ground and they sort of peck at seeds or, you know, at scraps and so forth. That's, that's the word picture here. So they're basically saying, hey, this guy, Paul, hey, he's, like a, he's like a seed picker, a scrap picker. He's like one of these little birds. He's, he's picked up a few scraps of knowledge here and there. You know, he's just kind of a, kind of a babbler. Well, these were the intellectuals. You know, they, they thought of themselves as very wise, but in reality, we're going to see their ignorance here because what, what, what else do they say? They say he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. The word for re resurrection is anastasis. And apparently what was happening was that when they heard Paul talk about resurrection, they thought he was talking about like a, a, a goddess. So they're like, who is this guy? He's preaching about this God, Jesus, and his goddess, resurrection. I mean... I mean, that's how, that's how clueless they were. I mean, it was, it's, there's an element of humor here, I mean, but it was just sad. I mean, there's utterly clueless, utterly uh, lost. They think when they hear resurrection, they don't even have a category for that. They think resurrection is like, uh, you know, like, like a, a, a goddess or something, Jesus' cohort. Um, just utter lostness. But at, at least they're willing to listen to Paul. So in verses 19 through 21, it says they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. The Areopagus was a hill 
that overlooked the marketplace. It was kind of where they would meet to discuss things and hear new ideas. They go to the Areopagus and they say to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Well, they were going to hear something very new from Paul. What does he say to them? How does he share with them? Verses 22 and following. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So again, Paul's a good missionary. He's been looking around. He's seen this altar they've erected to an unknown God. Apparently they want to cover their bases. You know, so they figured, hey, there's got to be some gods that we don't know about. So let's just cover our bases and let's have an altar to the unknown God. Paul says, let me tell you about this unknown God. Verses 24 and following. Paul says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. This is quite a bit different than the synagogue, isn't it? <laughs> In the synagogue, Paul doesn't have to begin by explaining to, these, to the Jewish people that, you know, there's one God, who, who, one creator God, who, 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 uh, who made everything that you see around you. He doesn't have to begin there. They already know the Old Testament. But with these Greeks, they don't know any of this. They're just clueless, right? So... He, has to, he begins with creation and just by explaining to them that there's one true God who designed the world because they don't have a biblical framework. Now, I want you to think about our culture today. Think about America, 2017. Are most of the people who are lost in our culture, are they more like the Jewish people in the synagogue in Thessalonica? Or are they more like the Greeks at the Areopagus? I think they're more like the Greeks at the Areopagus. We are living in a post-Christian culture where we can no longer assume that people know anything about the Bible. We have to kind of assume now that they, they don't know much about the Bible. And so we have to kind of begin with people where they are. Now, <clears throat> a while back, we, we looked at the three circles, a way of, of sharing uh, the gospel. And I want to kind of do just a, a brief refresher on that now. Um, and one of the reasons that I, I like this way of sharing the gospel with people is because it doesn't assume that they know anything, right? We kind of begin where people are. So if you're talking to people in our culture today, 
The one thing that people can agree on, listen, wherever they're coming, as, 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 as different as their worldview may be about all kinds of things, and we're living in a culture with lots of different worldviews, right? But as different as worldviews are, the, about the one thing that you can get people to agree on in our culture today is that things are not right, that we are living in a broken world. Um, and you can look around and, I mean, you can see the brokenness all around. So we're, we're talking to people, these things come up. The brokenness of the world comes up, right? The, the, the violence, the, the, the terrorism, um, the suffering, the, uh, the war that we see around us, the, the brokenness that we see in the lives of, of people all around us. I mean, people understand that. They can, they can relate to that. And we're going to be in conversations like that. So one way of kind of sharing the big story of the Bible and the gospel with them is to kind of begin there where they are. So we see this brokenness all around us, but, you know, what we also see all around us is tons of evidence for God's design. So we, um, we can look around us and we can see the beauty of the natural world. We look around us and we see, um, we see creativity. We look around us and we see love. see a lot of hatred, but we also see lots of evidence of love. And what, what we also see is that, that God has put within us a yearning for a world that's not broken. We yearn, everybody yearns for a, a world where people are at peace with one another and where people love one another. A, a, a world that's, uh, that's not, a world without suffering. Ultimately, we yearn for a world without death. You know why we yearn for a world like that? is because God designed a world like that. God created a, a perfect world without sin, without suffering, without death, without, without brokenness. Um, the problem is that all of us, you, me, everybody, has departed from God's design, and the Bible calls that sin. And it says we're all sinners. It says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, we, we, have, we have struck out away from God's design to go do our own thing, our own way, manage life on our own, okay? Um, and we find ourselves even falling short of our own ideals. We're broken. That's, that's, that's what the Bible calls sin. Okay, we have, we have departed from God's design. We want to do things our own way. And, and what that leads to is the brokenness that we see all around us. Now, we may try to escape our brokenness in all kinds of different ways. You know, um, we may try to escape through alcohol or drugs, or, you know, we may try to escape through just getting more and more money or material things. We may try to escape just by kind of kind of living for pleasure, you know, living for the weekend and our recreational pursuits or whatever. Um, we may try to escape it through 
uh, new relationships in our lives. But ultimately what we experience is that none of these things satisfy and we just keep getting like, like uh, kind of like bungee cords. We just keep getting snapped back down into our brokenness. It's almost like an endless cycle. You see it all around us. Here's the good news. God loves us so much that he's provided a remedy for our brokenness. Okay, and that's what the Bible calls the gospel. So, gospel is a Bible word that means good news. And the good news that's at the heart of Christianity is that God loved us so much that you know, he didn't leave us in our brokenness. He loved us so much that he came to us. He gave his son for us. And Jesus was broken for our brokenness. Jesus took our sins on himself, paid the penalty for our sins. He rose from the dead so that we can have abundant life and eternal life, forgiveness of our sins, and be with God forever. That's great news, but we have to respond to that. It's not enough just to know about it. We have to respond to it. And the Bible says that the way that we respond to uh, the gospel is to, first of all, repent and believe. So to repent means to turn. It means we turn from trying to do life our own way, doing our own thing, and we turn to Jesus and we trust him. That's what it means to believe. And the Bible says that we must believe in Jesus, right? John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. To believe in Jesus means that we commit our lives to him. Doesn't mean that we just believe stuff about him. It means we believe in him. We, we receive him into our life as Savior and Lord. We commit our lives to him. And, and when that happens, then we can begin to recover and pursue God's design. And we, we begin to become the person that God created us to be, um, the way that he designed us to be, okay? That's, that's sort of the big picture, the good news of the Bible and the gospel. Now, um, you don't have to draw three circles to share that. Um, sometimes you might wanna do that, but, but as you share with people in our culture, that's a good way of sharing the story of the Bible. And listen, it's not too far from what Paul does at the Areopagus with these people. And by the way, if you want to, um, to look a little more about, um, about these, you can go to the Life on Mission uh, app. It's a free app you can put on your phone. It has a video there that kind of walks you through how to share the gospel with the three circles. If you go to our church app, you can see this sermon and what I just uh, did and go back over that or, or any of our sermons here. Okay, verses 27 and following. <clears throat> What's Paul do now? He says to them, yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So now Paul quotes from some of their own writers, their own poets. Again, he's a good missionary. He's, he's, 
he's showing that he can relate to something from their world. I'll never forget, um, as a kid here, uh, I think we were in between pastors maybe at the time, and there was one of the guys from the, the church, maybe one of our Sunday school teachers, who was preaching that day. But this is back in the late 70s. And I'll never forget, as he was preaching, he quoted from a, a song that was popular at the time, a song called Dust in the Wind by Kansas. So I, I really like that song, you know? And I can, rem- I can remember at that moment just being, wow, this guy understands something about my world. And I mean, I was, I was, I was locked into what he was saying. It was incredibly meaningful to me. Um, that's what Paul is doing here. Right, he's, he's showing that he understands something about their world. It's really helpful if we can do that with, um, with, with people. That's what God did with us. He came to us. Jesus entered our world. We have to show people that you know, we're, we're trying to understand who they are. And it just helps us in, in, in bridging to the gospel if we, can, if we can do that. That's what Paul is doing here in quoting some of their own writers. Verses 29 and following. Paul says, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to us by raising him from the dead. So Paul here just kind of exposes the folly of idolatry. And then he calls them to turn from that, to repent of that. Listen, we have to call people to respond to the gospel, right? We have to call people to turn away, to repent from, from going their own way and to turn to Jesus and trust him. And, he, and so he calls here for a response, says, look, God's calling you to turn from these idols, okay, to, to him as the one true and living God. And he's not only your creator, but he's done something to redeem you. He gave his son, and one day he's going to judge the world by his son and the way that you respond to his son. And the identity of Jesus as Savior and Lord is, is vindicated and shown by what? He was raised from the dead. And we know that if he preached about the resurrection, <laughs> that he had to preach about the cross, because otherwise, you know, I mean, he had to preach that Jesus died on a cross in order for the resurrection to make sense. And so look, Whoever we're talking to, whatever their background is, wherever we are, we have to teach the gospel. We have to share the gospel. If we don't share about the the cross, that Jesus died for our sins and that he rose from the dead, we haven't shared the gospel, right? So so in the end, we, we must be clear with all people about the gospel. And notice what Paul says here. It's almost buried earlier in what we saw. But in verse 27, he says to them, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. See, these people 
these people were in a situation where they felt like they had to get to the gods. You know, I've, I've got I've to go through all this in order, to, in order to, to kind of get to the gods. A lot of people in our culture today think that, you know, they've got to do this and this and jump through all these hoops and sort, sort of in order to reach God. But Paul says in reality, God has come to us. He's come to us. You don't have to go through all of this to try to reach him. He's come to you. Romans 10. Paul says, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you there's rescue. There is salvation in Jesus. We thank you that, that Jesus came to us to die for our sins, to rise from the dead, to show us the way. And Lord, help us as believers to go to people. Just like you came to us, help us to, to go to others with the good news of the gospel. Lord, help us to, to love people uh, enough to, to, to try to understand who they are and what their needs are so that we can represent you effectively. But help us to be clear and sharing the gospel with people. Help us to be loving. Help us to be bold. Sharing the only good news that can save. In the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about a relationship with, uh, with Jesus, we would love to talk with you more about that. If you're here today and, and God's speaking to you about um, being a part of our church family, um, you can come and talk to us during invitation time. Uh, afterwards today, we have Discovering FBC that's coming up next week where we talk about all of these things and we'd love to invite you to stay for lunch um, after church next week um, to do that. But don't leave here today if you've got a need in your life without us being able to talk with you and pray with you. We would love to do that. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, 
God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.